Welcome to Electronic Music Live, Christine Kakere. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, it's it's a funny name that seems to have like a lot of different possible pronunciations. Like in Uganda, it's Kakere, um, but okay. Kakari or mm. Kakere is e- either one of those is fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad I got one of them correct. <laughs> 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 and uh, look, you know, we we've um. We've we've known each other for a while, but we've uh, but we we kind of we kind of well, we worked at the same place, and I was like sort of crossed crossed yeah. uh, you know working experiences uh, a long time ago. I think it was really two thousand and five or six. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Long, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like a um, relay race. We uh, the, pa- passing the baton. Yeah, the, correct, correct. And and um, you've been living overseas since then. Uh, yeah, I think I left Australia in, oh gosh, memory, like 2007, I guess. And I was in London for almost like a year and a half. And then I I moved to Berlin. Okay. Well, look, you've been, um, in, in these, these 20 years, um, the almost 20 years that, uh, fast that, that since we met and, um, you've been quite um, involved in as a, or a cultural journalist um, and activist in electronic music. I mean, most of the plate, like where you've contributed your work and where you've worked, and has been um, you your has been involved with names like Ableton, SoundCloud, uh, Pitchfork. Um, Boiler Room, Crack, uh, Resident Advisor, the, the list goes on. Um, and uh, I, yeah, you've carved, you've carved a career um, being sort of involved. Uh, how, yeah, just tell me how did this all come about for you? Like what's your, your journey? Like I'd love to learn about that. It's really funny um, hearing you kind of um, read off this list of names because it, it makes it sound really coherent and intentional and um planned out and it really has not been the case like um I'm not somebody who's ever really uh been great at working with plans or setting goals and things like that so a lot of it has just been you know when I moved to Berlin um which is the first time I I worked for Beatport two times I moved here and then my entire department got laid off and then I kind of like bounced around from, from thing to thing. Um, so it, it, yeah, it's all not been coherent. And, um, like when I, I took a job here, I was kind of working on a project that was more about hip hop music and then that went away. And then I worked for another music download store and then I just had always had an interest in writing. And so that kind of led me to resident advisor, but I wasn't, um, I was, I was working in a different department, so it, it's, it's not at all been coherent. So, um, sure. it's been a bit of a mess, but the totality of it is, um, has been great. Cause it means that I've had like a lot of different experience and, and I think now that I'm a, I'm a freelancer, it's kind of where I, um, where I belong, I think being a free agent. And, and when did that start for you as a free agent? Um, I think it was 2015, which is, um, when I had been re-employed by Beatport and I was back there for a couple of years and, um, I, 
think at that point I realized that being a full-time employee was just not for me. <laughs> um, mm. It's it's not the conditions under which I thrive. Like I'm really as a as a person and as a uh, worker, I guess I really value um, freedom and variety. So in 2015, that was the period of time where I was kind of dipping my toe into freelance waters. And then I spent most of 2016 um, back in Sydney, actually, um, for kind of like uh, personal family reasons. And then I came back right at the end of 2016 and have just been like riding that freelance train ever since. Mm, mm. But so looking back now, though, like if you were to sort of describe, like if you're looking back at all these, uh, all the, the the places that you've worked and uh, projects, the dots the dots connect, and and it somehow has led you to um, not only I mean, well, it's been it's been around music and music culture, um, and significantly electronic and dance music, and mm-hmm. and. Um, so yeah, that, I guess that kind of led you to this uh, decision to to kind of be your own your own self and keep doing what you're doing and what you love. That, does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. I think like when I kind of returned back to Berlin in twenty end of twenty sixteen, I was like, I'm just gonna see if this works. Like, I'm just gonna see how far I can get just being a freelancer. And I think also just by sheer virtue of um, having been here for long enough, like, you know, like any kind of cultural or subcultural scene in any city, it ends up feeling like a little bit of a village. Everyone knows each other um, mm. at a certain degree. And I think I had developed good relationships and goodwill as well. Um, so that momentum was able to build in a way that felt really natural. Um, so, yeah, like all, all of this kind of... <laughs> all of these kind of chaotic approaches to what I would do as um, how I would occupy my work time kind of all kind of led to a place where I was able to figure things out on my own. Um, and I feel super, super fortunate to um, still be able to do that. Do you think, do you think the time away also gave you some perspective as well? Like being sort of dipping out and sort of gave you, okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just looking at your eyes. Just- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I often say that Berlin is a place where um the best the best thing you can do to cultivate your relationship to Berlin is to leave it for a little bit of time and come back. Um mm. I, I think it's it's such a unique place and it's easy to become um disillusioned with the uh less favorable aspects of like living in Germany and kind of navigating German bureaucratic systems and things like that. But um, I think every time I've gone away, even if it's just for a vacation um, and then come back, I always have this sense of like, I'm really fortunate to be here. And this is like a pretty, um, it's still, you know, I think quite a unique space in terms of how it um, values culture and uh, subcultures as well. So, yeah, I think having that big stint away, I really kind of came back with a renewed sense of appreciation for it. Mm. Has that changed over the years? Like, you know, because you've been there for quite some time mm. and Berlin's been home um, for most most of this time. And um, you mentioned like all the appreciation and acceptance of cult- subcultures. Is that 
Is that something that has evolved and you've seen come from strength to strength or has it been like that, you know, since you've been there? You've noticed that? It's definitely shifted and continues to shift. Um, I think um, Berlin is is very unique for those reasons that I mentioned about kind of um, legitimizing subculture. Um, but I think it is not sometimes has an easy, an uneasy time of reckoning with like, okay, well, this is like a culture industry, like truly a culture industry that people are drawn to this city, people visit this city, people are attracted to this city because of the kind of cultural offerings that it has and, you know, the kind of infamous all-night clubs and things like that. So it's been really interesting to kind of observe and be kind of like a stakeholder in this city that's kind of still holding on to this reputation of like, we're just, you know, DIY, we're making something out of nothing. And it's like, this is actually really, really well-established industry at this point. (laughs) So kind of, uh, but also kind of grappling with the reality that, you know, Berlin is changing and um, there's a lot more uh, money funneling into the city. There's a lot more of a presence of big tech companies and things like that. Um, so it's been, it's been an evolution, but I think Berlin has still kind of managed to hang on to some kind of like of its core rebellious spirit. Mm. And that which, is, which is healthy for, I guess, uh, keeping things fresh and, and vibrant. And, and uh, you've, been, you've been involved on the, uh, the, the board of, of um, Berlin's night embassy. Tell me a bit about that, like. Now, are you still involved with that? Uh, no, that was a, a it, it's an ongoing project, um, okay. which is funded by um, a big uh, alcohol company. And the, the Berlin project was kind of like the pilot one. Um, so they just did it, I believe in um, Johannesburg. I, I think they just wrapped up that next session. And I think in the, in, in the interim they did, um, I think, either Moscow or, or St. Petersburg. So essentially it's um, – and, th- and I think this is also pretty representative of how, like, brands and, like, cultural agencies are now kind of thinking about how to work with subculture and music and all those types of things. So it's like we've got a bunch of money. We want to be able to be involved in this city. So how, how do we go about getting these resources to – um, young creatives and young collectives and people who are doing interesting things um, in this city. So they kind of provided a budget and a space over the course of, oh, how long was it? I think 12 weeks or something like that. From memory, I haven't, I haven't uh, thought about the particulars of it for a while. I think there were like six different collectives who were each given a couple of weeks in this space and they could curate it and book it and, um, uh, kind of lean on the resources of this bigger structure to promote the events. Yeah. Mm, mm. And uh, you're also um, contributing to uh, Bergheim um, bi-monthly. And that's, is that a, that's new for you, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, I've only just published the second column. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, I have one here, but it's on the other side of the room. Um, but basically the club produces this like physical flyer, which is like this huge, it's like a huge, like old school map. And they print all of the lineups for that month. 
and mm. there's like an interview on there with one of the artists who's playing in that month and then there's also like one little page that's dedicated to just like a little editorial column um and it's right. always been there but since Berghain has come back um since the kind of uh lockdowns um mm. they approached me and another um another writer named Laura who's a friend of mine as well um to ask us if we wanted to take over that space and to alternate it um and, wh- and what's the focus of this column like that these it's I mean it, the remit is really broad it's like I was just asked well the only kind of instructions I was given was to um just something that's connected to club culture so the first one that I wrote in May was specifically about the topic of hedonism um and how it uh manifests in club culture and you know I think Berlin is a really kind of well-known example of like what hedonism can look like but I just wanted to kind of dial back and to really think about the word and think about how it's often enacted and how it could be like I don't know less violent and more ethical or equitable Uh, and then the one that I did uh, in July um, was specifically about a, a mix that I really love and have listened to a million times since it came out which is the Claude Young DJ Kicks. Oh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, I just I, I noticed that they um released um the the legendary Kruder and Dorfmeister finally like on um digital like on on, on streaming platforms recently. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. caught caught the wave of that. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I did hear about it. Yeah. It was a it is a, it, it is actually quite a pinnacle um mix that one, the the, the DJ Kicks one. That absolutely that, that version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Sure. Now you've been so you've uh, you've been quite um, well. You've it's been part it's part of your 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 DNA dance like dance music culture in the last twenty. Like you've been so. Um, do I get do you do you ever find yourself running short of ideas to write about or like? Mm, actually, actually, no. I think that's <laughs> what that's one of the things that kind of keeps me. Uh, connected because uh, for sure over these 20 years there have been points where I'm like I, I need to I need to just train in some other kind of profession because I've definitely had moments of like I can't do this anymore um not so much mm. in the in the last few years I have to say not so much since freelancing um mm. but uh sorry what was the question <laughs> yeah do you do you run short of ideas do you run short do you, did you find that it's a difficult to like to pull inspiration from uh, the fact that you've been in the like in the industry doing this for 20 years like that there, there must be um you know so many things that have crossed your mind that you wanted to share and get out there um yeah no i don't i, I feel like i don't run out of ideas because um people who are creating music like I'm just endlessly inspired by um whether it's discovering discovering somebody who's been around for a bit who I just wasn't aware of or um kind of honing in on on new talents or new scenes I feel like that is the thing that kind of keeps me energetic and engaged and um and also because I you know I do I do write but I've kind of stopped uh, in the last few years doing music reviews, like I just found it to not be so um, rewarding. Mm. And it can also, uh, the, the feedback to writing music reviews can also be 
oh, people get upset. Um, so I've started focusing more on um, writing profiles and like doing this, this Beatport, not a Beatport, sorry, Berghain column. Um, Cause I think there's all, there's always a story to tell. Um, mm. Everybody has a story. Every scene has a story and it's just about kind of um, figuring out what that story is, which I think is endless. Mm. So like if, if it, now you've kind of got, um, would, would you be able to say that you've, you have, uh, I guess, um, certain touch points that you want to make sure that are being covered in, in whatever from like now you've, you've now know more of what you want to be writing, what kind of mm-hmm. things that you want to be sharing mm-hmm. and you want yeah, so tell me what 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 are like what would be some of those vocal points that you're making sure that are being covered in in your writing because you know writing it, it, it definitely it's an art form and it's it's something that you're pulling pulling inspiration but you also want to be contributing to the culture still and and there's all these other you know facets. So I'd love to know you know what what inspires you what what makes you want to write on, on, and why, you know? Oh, that's such a good question. I'll try not to, to waffle too much because I feel like <laughs> I've been having um, conversations on this topic uh, quite a bit recently. Like I think I've realised that um, just generally speaking that providing, providing context around culture is something that I think is kind of a, a, a through point, particularly with the writing and like with Black Artist Database and I, you know, I also teach now as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just being able to contextualise culture to give it more meaning, um, to give it more resonance, to give it a deeper historical roots um, is something that I am just kind of like uh, naturally drawn to and naturally want to continue doing sorry what was the question again it's it's even though it's 10 a.m it's like my brain does not come online until like That's midday so. I, I, the, I i you 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 started well so my the question the, the question is is um uh you were like what what do you want to be um uh, what's inspiring you and why okay. do you want and what do you want to write about you know just to kind of Okay, thank you. Thank you for, yes. for keeping me on track. And <laughs> and when it comes to writing, I think it's it's been interesting like over the last, I don't know, 10 to 12 years of me writing like the the reasons for being attracted to certain things has shifted. I think when I first started and I was um, less secure and more skittish and, um, mm. yeah, like less sure of myself, I would try to kind of like seek out stories of of people or artists or sounds that were not being given attention um, in a way, uh, try to kind of find things that other people were uh, overlooking or missing somehow. Um, and then as my career progressed, I think as the idea of identity began, began to play more of a role, um, mm. I was really attracted to um, ensuring that I paid a lot of attention to uh, particularly like women and femme and queer and non-binary artists. Um, and now I think as, you know, and I think there's like a real mirror here just in terms of my own evolution, evolution as well. 
I think now, you know, given the last couple of years, given the work that I'm doing in the Black Artists Database, I think the thing that, and it's not the only thing that I'm going to write about, um, but I think really taking a lot of care um, when it comes to presenting the stories of other Black other black people and black artists in particular, um, as I've become more and more interested in the, uh, how can I put this, the way that language itself can be an oppressive system. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I really mm-hmm. want to lean into um, being really thoughtful with my words and presenting people's work uh, in a way where, uh, yeah, they feel cared for and cared about. Mm-hmm. That's, um, yeah, super interesting because I feel um, like, yeah, so you're, you're, you're working now as a lead uh, for the Black Database um, and um, I wanted to touch on that. Like what, what is the, first of all, what does that role mean and, mm-hmm. and what are you specifically doing for, for this, for this uh, initiative and project? Okay, so um, Black Artist Database, I'll give like a, a quick history. Um, it was founded by uh, Nick Stella-Nancy and Kay Ferdinand, who are two um, black British uh, DJs and creatives and, uh, you know, peers and friends now. Um, and in, in the wake of uh, the murder of George Floyd, as all of these kind of conversations are swirling around online, um, that also kind of was in parallel to the uh, initiatives from uh, Bandcamp at that time through the earlier days of the pandemic. So they had these Bandcamp Fridays where I think it was the first Friday of every month. Um, Mm -hmm. You could purchase uh, something from Bandcamp and all of the proceeds would go directly to the artist. Um, There was no kind of uh, fee being taken away. So um, Nix and Kay kind of put together this spreadsheet uh, to say to people within electronic music, like this is a a way to... uh, demonstrate and appreciate kind of uh, the black creatives in this particular scene. Like material resources are always going to be necessary and because of like lots of different intersecting um, systems and oppressions that uh, black artists are often left out of the uh, spotlight. Um, So that started as a spreadsheet and then um, it it was kind of like a, a open source spreadsheet. Lots of people could contribute to it. Um, and it really kind of took off. And so it was decided that they were going to build like a website, kind of like a simple website called Black Bandcamp at that time, so that people could look through artists based on their name, based on their sound, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of had my eye on, on Black Bandcamp as we were kind of going through the second half of 2020 um, because I also found myself in in the immediate wake of George Floyd's murder as a Black journalist, um, all of a sudden my inbox was just like, like filled up with requests, um, all from white cis male art, uh, editors being like, Hey, uh, do you want to like knock out some text for us on like black oppression in the music industry? Uh, we need it tomorrow. Um, and so the first time that happened, it was like, are you kidding me? Like this is, uh, I, I can't overstate how <laughs> sorry. No, sorry. Um, yeah, so in that moment of real, like, existential grief, having um, loads of people being like, hey, we need content. Um, and so 
I, I posted a couple of public things because also at that particular time, I was like, I'm somewhat established in my career and I've also diversified it. So I'm not, I'm not completely dependent on this work. So I'm able to speak out um, as a representative of black creatives because conversations I was having behind the scenes with other black creatives was exactly the same. All of us were kind of expected to, in this moment of complete rawness and grief, um, to um, kind of shuffle into centre stage and it's like it's just, it, it's still, mm. it still angers me so much. Um, so I made mm. a couple of, of public posts about that, um, which got really good feedback, but essentially nothing changed. Um, I was still getting these like outrageous requests, last minute, poorly thought out, um, kind of virtue signalling kind of requests. Um, and so at the same time I was looking at Black Bandcamp and I was like, I would really love to do something similar, but for black creatives like me. So like writers and photographers and videographers and stylists, et cetera, et cetera. And so I also started this blank spreadsheet and I wanted to call it Black Creative Database and I didn't know where to start. And then a friend connected me to Black Artist Database and, oh, sorry, Black Bandcamp at that point and said, well, maybe you can do like a knowledge share about how to build something, um, that's kind of a similar principle and we started talking and like within one conversation it was like well why don't we do this together so I was I became like part of the the collective that's behind black black band camp at that time which then relaunched a few months later as black artist database and so within black artist database um we launched at the end of last year the black creative database so you can go to black artist database and search for um, incredible music from like the global diaspora of black music makers. Um, you can mm. also look up events, you can listen to the podcasts, you can um, read the editorial, but you can also, if you're looking for black creative workers, um, there is a, an, another database that I run called the Black Creative Database. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, the, 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 uh, the, the back, well, we call it a backlash, but you know what? actually happened as a response and I guess people wanting to appear to be culturally responsible and mm -hmm. I guess that's why your inbox in flooded <laughs> flooded mm -hmm. um but uh I mean yeah I, I I would like to just like touch touch like touch but discuss with you about to um on this subject a little because I uh, for my own learning but also too, um, you know, from people who think, uh, and not to make them wrong, but to shed a light on on this is is to to kind of deconstruct that um, people who believe that um, I guess there are um, no sort of patriarchal sort of things that are white patriarchal systems that exist in electronic music mm. and. Um, my um and you mentioned this is why i was kind of leading into this because you mentioned you know earlier about being very strategic with the way you construct your wording and because it is that the wording and the subconscious of and behavioral patterns yeah. these are the systems right these are the mm -hmm. systems that are passed down and i i see that my me being um I call myself beige um, <laughs> because of my Greek heritage. Um, the, um, <laughs> but, um, 
But yeah, look, I mean, my, I, I, I you know, been um, a, a white man and I want to share, I want to be able to hear from you, um, your thoughts on, on that subject, on how to kind of like make people understand another perspective. Oh, um, <laughs> do we I have mean, time? <laughs> but also I think often um, for the person who is like, um, well, I, I'm skeptical. I don't know if this is true. You tell me. It's like I, I think it's right. also a matter of like picking your battles. Like I'm um, for those people who um, are, are skeptical of like, um, patriarchy and uh, colonial mindsets and capitalism and how all of these things have intersected to create the world that uh, we live in now. Um, if there isn't kind of a, I don't know, baseline acknowledgement of that, it's, I think it's going to be really super difficult. Um, mm. But I think in terms of, you know, I think, but I think something that can often be helpful is just things like data. And I don't, I don't have any data necessarily to hand, but um, if you're thinking about uh, the kinds of spaces that you're inhabiting within electronic music, um, whether you're a producer or a promoter or uh, running a space or running a record label or just a punter, um, just I would encourage anybody to just really do, just do your own personal audit to be like, okay, so this is my favourite club. Like, oh, okay, so who are the people who are running it? It's like, ah, oh, okay. Um, or who are the people who are running record labels or who are the people who are mm, mm. benefiting um, and we're kind of talking about financial benefits, but also kind of like the social capital of being um, associated with things. Who, who are the people who are able to benefit from this most often? And this is something that I um, talk about with my students. Sometimes we do like little uh, lessons on electronic music. If you just think about like, you know, just look up who are the top 10 uh, highest earning artists in electronic music at this time. Um, I think with the exception of like uh, Steve Aoki, uh, it's all cis white men. Um, and if mm. you think about uh, the kinds of people who enjoy electronic music and love it and support it and listen to it and consume it, um, that kind of demographic pool is super, super mixed. So, yeah, mm. yeah. I think, I think yeah. the data can be pretty telling. Yeah, and I mean that's what I guess that it 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 goes to show that we we're, we're seeing people um, you know people who are sort of you know behind festivals behind these labels um, and it I guess um, as a word of encouragement for people of color uh, um, non-binary um, you know. Or everyone that's sort of for inclusion and equality. I mean, people should be stepping up and and getting themselves involved as well. But there are no, like I guess what I'm trying to get at here is understanding um, this this um, you know what do we what do we um, because everyone, everyone has challenges to face, and everyone, and the grind it varies for everyone. And and this is the this is the part where I usually get like caught up in in conversation is that the grind exists for everyone, mm -hmm. and and it's the you know 
if you whatever you want to carve out, it's going to be difficult. But like there are there are certain obstacles that are different for people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I like to kind of like um you know point at that certain obstacles are different and yeah yeah is that would you be it as in your in your lecturing and and is this the, the same kind of conversations that you're having yeah and i think um and like when it when it comes to um and this is like a real pedantic thing of mine but i started to kind of bristle at the word inclusion because I think, you know, there's kind of like, it's, it's just part of culture now, this like diversity, inclusion, um, equity stuff. But I think that the word inclusion itself can be problematic because it's still, it's still suggesting a kind of a hierarchy, right? It's like, I'm including you in this. I'm making a decision to include you in this. And I think, mm. a, more, I think a more powerful term or a more powerful principle is belonging it's kind of approaching a situation saying these people belong here and they're not here rather than I'm choosing to mm. include them. So that's kind mm. of like a, a personal mission of mine that I've been on the, the last year or so yeah. is even just yeah. thinking about that kind of language. Um, and also when you, when you think of it through the prism of belonging, it's like rather than thinking about it through kind of intentional inclusion, it's like, well, what, what are the barriers for this person feeling like they belong here? Is it because there's nobody else who um, in this space that mirrors their cultural background, mirrors their gender background, mirrors their class background, which is something that is not talked about enough in electronic Mm. music. Is Mm. it because it is clear that there are certain types of uh, social situations where people are able to um, develop the social capital to take them further along in their careers? Like I think something that um, I realized early on is that, you know, of course here there, there's electronic music business here, but a lot of kind of connections and bonds are built like at the bar, at the after party, you know, in these mm. spaces where not everybody is welcome. Um, you mm. know, gatekeeping is like a huge issue. Not everybody mm. is comfortable. So yeah, mm. I think thinking mm. of things through this prism of belonging is a more, resonant way of being able to pick up these nuances of why is it that everybody in this space uh, looks exactly like each other. Mm, mm. That's a, that's a really interesting uh, point. Just chatting about this with a friend of mine on the weekend about, um, uh, you know, how the economic, uh, the economic status of someone or their position um, like certain festivals that are happening now during the summer, like only a certain, you know, demographic and uh, economic yeah. sort of situation can, they're able to attend these festivals, you know, and um, yeah, and it, it does have, it, it does create, um, uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to be up, I, I, I don't encourage that, well, you need to get a better job or, you know, to be able to like, no, it's just like there are people who are, um, don't feel um, that th- this is um, untouchable for them. Yeah. You know, like, the, yeah. And I think that's, I think that is what I'm getting from your description there. Absolutely. Um, and I, I can give another mm-hmm. example there of like, I mean, thankfully, I, I think I'm old enough to have skated past the whole like, <laughs> intern industrial complex that Berlin creative industries run on. 
Um, and, you know, the, the companies that I have worked for, there has been this kind of, I don't know, it's just built into the culture and maybe it's global and I'm just, you know, I, I it was of an older generation, but um, there's this whole kind of uh, category of people who were able to come to Berlin and to just bounce from one internship to another, from this music tech company to this music download company mm. to this music publishing mm. company. And you can only do that if you have the material resources already to pay your rent, mm. to make sure you have groceries, because you cannot live mm. on 300 euros a month in this city. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's mm. been a real bugbear of mine. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. not to say that the people who end up in these internships who more often than not um, will establish themselves and create relationships and then end up in paid employment, that's not to say that they're not deserving, but just that barrier of entry is really, really high. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really just being compassionate towards these these hurdles that do exist and not to say that they don't and just like push them aside and you just got to like work hard, you know. Yeah. That's it, you know, like no, I think there's definitely um it, there has to be some acknowledgement of of those hurdles and Absolutely. they do exist and 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 like that um I Going back to sort of the elusive side of things, like, uh, yeah, I, I'm all for, um, you know, telling someone that, yeah, um, don't obviously identities and things don't define you. Like you do you and, and work through and get, and get yours, you know, but um, it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that these things don't exist and, yeah. and to, you know, so. Um, yeah, the cha challenge and grind exists for everyone. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, there was something I wanted to to add to that. Yeah, so what do, what are your thoughts on, you mentioned before about inclusion and how, like the word inclusion and how that can be de more detrimental than do good. Now, what are your thoughts on, um, say, projects like that are uh, there to help black artists what like you know do you find that that could also create harm or Oof. does it create you know what I mean like yeah yeah I'm like I'm laughing internally because I'm like don't start ranting because this is <laughs> um this, this is something that I, I think about a lot and mm. um and, and it's even something that I feel like I engage with as well because I'm a freelancer and at, mm -hmm. at this particular time, um, in particular, I, I, I'm entirely aware that um, particularly the more public-facing things that I'm asked to do, whether it's to be on a board or to be doing a panel or whatever, um, that, yes, it might be about my work, but it is also going to be about I'm woman, I'm black, I'm outspoken about these issues. Um, so there is, like, a certain amount of calculus that has to happen to be like, okay, so I know that this other entity is going to be benefiting in certain ways. Like, is it worthwhile? Is there a good balance of me being able to speak freely? Me being, you know, like there's a lot of calculus that has to go on. And I feel like particularly for, for black music artists or art, music artists from any marginalized backgrounds, now that there are more and more of these kind of like opportunities or, um, kind of focused attention around identity, 
And when I see other people criticizing for the, them for that, I'm like, I, I would never criticize the artists themselves. I would criticize the structures, you know. Um, but I think as long as uh, this is why I think it's really important to be able to develop community wherever you are, um, to feel like you're in community with the people who are around you, who are at a similar kind of peer level, um, because I think it's important to be able to discuss these types of things and to be like, oh, you know, this opportunity has come up, but I'm not sure if it feels exploitative or not, or I don't know if I'm not asking for enough in terms of financial payment for this or that. So I'm, yeah, I could really talk about this for a long time. I think, it's, <laughs> you know, it can, it can be a blessing and a curse. I think anything that's going to put money or put kind of, uh, access, like really um, kind of significant access in people's hands who structurally wouldn't have access to it, then go for it. Do, do, do your mm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, it is, it is, these, these, these topics are quite complex and um, we're, we're talking about dismantling and um, of, of certain ideas and frameworks and psychology you know, behavior, you know, mm. of years. And, and yeah, things are definitely moving in a po more positive direction. And I, I personally believe a lot of things are falling apart and are for the better. And, um, and we're in a, we're in a phase, we're in, we're in a, a place where now new um, foundations are being built and new ways of moving forward. That, that's the way I perceive it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I look. I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your perspective here and reconnecting with you again. And um, this was a lovely conversation. Um, thank you. Where where can where can uh, uh, the listeners and readers find more about your work um, at the moment? Um, I have a website which is christinekakari.com. Um, that's where. I've started publishing the Bergland columns, so they'll be up there every couple of months because some of them will be translated into German in the original format. So I, I've been given permission to, to publish the English version there. Um, I'm using, Excellent. like, my Instagram now to primarily post about work stuff, so I tend to link things there, which is at the strawberry girl, G-R-R-L. Um, Excellent. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you, James. It was lovely to chat with you today. Thank you so much. Lovely to, lovely to talk to you as well.